Welcome to A Fistful of Beskars. It's the podcast about Disney Plus's Mandalorian. I'm Dirk. And I'm Jonah. Today we're going to be talking about Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Yeah, Dirk. I think we, you know, right before we started recording, we talked a little bit about this episode and how, you know, this, I, I, I think we have some issues with this episode that we'll probably get into a little bit and how mm-hmm. we didn't necessarily think it, um, it, it's lived up to the quality of some of the other episodes in this series. Oh, yeah. I think that is an excellent way of putting it. <laughs> a very polite way of putting yeah. it. Um, before we get into that, though, let's get into the bounty board. So the bounty board is where we talk about all the Star Wars news that's going on. Uh, first off, Disney recently released a statement warning of potential epilepsy triggers in the new Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker. So the official statement from Disney says, out of an abundance of caution, we recommend that you provide at your venue box o- at your venue box office and online and at other appropriate places where your customers will see it a notice containing the following information. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker contains several sequences with imagery and sustained flashing lights that may affect those who are susceptible to photosensitive epilepsy or have other photosensitivities. I almost said photosynthesis. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's that's interesting for sure. Um, I guess it just means that there's going to be a whole lot of flashing lights in this um, this installment of the sequel trilogy. And it just kind of makes me more excited to see what the heck is going to be going on in this movie. I've actually kind of stayed away from leaks and spoilers as mm-hmm. best I can. I mean, my Twitter muted words right now are everything Star Wars and Rise of Skywalker related. <laughs> as we get so close, we're a week away from, at the time of recording this, we're a week away from that uh, movie being released. I'm just afraid that I'm going to uh come across yeah spoilers inadvertently (laughs) oh yeah so but that's uh, fun to speculate why that uh warning was up we have uh, another bit of a tidbit from the bounty board according to lucasfilm uh, or according to ew excuse me lucasfilm stunt coordinator nick gillard revealed there was a huge lightsaber fight planned between obi-wan and general grievous bodyguard soldiers for episode three revenge of the sith but it had to be uh, toned down and kind of cut basically from the what was uh, filmed due to time constraints, which, um, you know, a lot of people for all the issues that a lot of people have with the prequels, a lot of people really do believe that uh, that those films did demonstrate well how this was supposed to be kind of the height of light saber combat in the Star Wars world. Mm-hmm. And so I just was really sad that that was uh, cut because, you know, I've I, that's that is a very uh, good redeeming quality about the prequels is that the lightsaber fights are so well choreographed and really showed how there was this time where you know that the lightsaber combat was almost like an art form right so i'm excited to you know learn that um and it kind of goes also in line with like some other things have happened of course in the sequel trilogy the force awakens there was supposed to be a bigger um uh shootout and fight between um the smugglers Balatech and then when Han Solo um, first uh, brings on Ray, but Hans, you know, Harrison Ford uh, got injured on set. So oh, they yeah. had to tone that, uh, scale it down right. to accommodate his injury. So it just goes to show you 
uh, you have to have the best intentions to make your products very exciting and reality sometimes comes <laughs> into it and you know it's unfortunate but it's just how how it works good old reality yep <laughs> good old reality let's head into duel of the fates that's uh, where we talk about the episode so today like we said we're covering chapter five and it's called The Gunslinger. It was written and directed by Dave Filoni. And the synopsis on Wikipedia says, The Mandalorian defeats a pursuing bounty hunter in a dogfight, but with his ship damaged, he lands at a nearby repair dock run by Peli Motto and Moss Eisley on Tatooine. He seeks work in a cantina to pay for the repairs, meeting aspiring bounty hunter Toro Calican, who is tracking elite mercenary assassin Fennec Shand. Fennec Shan's quite the name. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Fennec Fox is uh, one of my favorite animals with their huge ears and everything like that. So, yeah, um, I didn't notice any uh, anything that's resembling too much of like a fox with um, her. But yeah, this this episode is um, it's interesting that this is the first episode that Dave Filoni um, wrote and directed. Um, of course, he uh, directed the pilot, but John Favreau, the showrunner, wrote that episode. Mm -hmm. um, and I have to say, like, I was very excited when I first heard that this was going to be an episode written and directed by Dave Filoni. I'm a big Clone Wars fan. But I don't think that this episode really lived up to that. Um, mm -hmm. Something Dave Filoni is very good is kind of elevating um, material. You know, there was... Um, uh, before we start recording, talked a bit about how Dave Filoni's like really makes you appreciate the prequels in a new and interesting way. Um, so I was really hoping that he would kind of take these kind of tropes that we've seen, these things that, you know, these expectations we have with this very Western influenced TV show um, in space, you know, as long with it's a Western kind of meets space opera and maybe kind of take it in a new direction where I felt like this felt very much kind of um, all filler, no killer situation. I I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I was really let down by this episode uh, for a number of reasons. I guess there are, I, I would say, two main reasons why I wasn't crazy about it. One, the setting. Yeah. In the entire galaxy of Star Wars, why do we have to go to Tatooine? Yes. And there could have been something really good. And I, I think it was, um, you know, Star Wars writer Lindsay Romaine. Uh, um, she's great. Follow her on Twitter. She's just has really great thoughts where she talked about how Dave Foley, something that he's really good is kind of flipping the script on a lot of things. So going to Mos Eisley and going to the cantina that is now run by droids. When the last time we were there, droids weren't allowed to be in there. Right. We see um, the bounty hunter um, Toro Calican sitting in the same booth that Han Solo where he mm -hmm. met Greedo and things like that. So there was like a lot of setup that I could see those expectations being built. And I just felt like it was def like it, the energy and everything from those setups was, was deflated and not a lot was done with it. Mm -hmm. And also um, I really, I had high, another thing I had high hopes for this episode is I realized it was the episode that Amy Sedaris was in. Yeah. And I don't, I just felt like she was so misused. Like. That was that was my other complaint about it because she essentially just became the babysitter. Yes. And I thought, okay, what if she tries to use Baby Yoda as a bargaining chip? What if she takes him sure. away? Like, 
what's going to happen to baby Yoda? And then all, all that happens is she charges the Mandalorian a little bit extra because she had to watch the baby. Yeah. That's, you know, and that's something that I don't know if to me, that sort of story arc and how it was written felt rushed and, you know, either tech, you know, possibly tacked on. Maybe they realized that they could only have Amy Sedaris for, you know, a short, you know, maybe a couple hours or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Those things happen. I understand. But at least give her an arc of some sort. You know, she she's there. She's supposed to take it. You know, she realizes she has to take care of the of baby, Yoda. which, by the way, why did they just leave baby Yoda in the <laughs> I know <laughs> and then and then it's sort of like okay we got to figure out how to fix the ship without droids there could have been so much more that we could have explored the setting and explored how with that character explored how most Eisley the last time we saw um most Eisley was at the you know that was the height of the empire taking over the outer rim and yeah. other than seeing some uh Stormtrooper helmets on spikes. You don't really see the influence of how they, how it's changed, if it has changed at all. You know, these are certain things where I felt like they were going to, could have used her to really explore um, most Eisley and kind of say something about the effects of war, or say something about just how things change over time. And instead, we just were at some very like familiar places and kind, and everything remained kind of familiar within it. Yeah. There wasn't, really any exposition like you said where there could be yeah um i was also really kind of annoyed with the fact that yeah she had to watch the baby but then somehow magically got everything done with the ship <laughs> like he just came in and she's like well rattled all this stuff off well i did this and this and this and this well i would have liked to seen how and like who her organic crew was yeah. instead of the pit crew exactly and this is kind of funny that we're talking about this um and it goes to show you about like just how this episode went I, it sounds like for both of us that we're zeroing in on the amy sedaris storyline which is such a small part of this episode yeah. and what it is <laughs> you know we still um we have uh jake cannavale you know bobby cannavale's um son and stuff yeah and he is kind of wanting to be this you know this new force and get his guild membership and everything like that those are all interesting um things and going after one of the biggest you you know baddest um uh, uh bounty hunters you know targets in the in, in mercenary you know with us fennec shan played by mina wen which like she's a really great actress and then like on so many things and they again it was like same thing with amy sedaris i felt like they totally squandered the talent that hey they had yeah and i don't understand um, how that goes. I mean, we had a couple of good exchanges with her and, you know, Toro, where she was kind of trying to manipulate him and everything like that. But in the end, it didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. And one thing I've been reading online, a lot of complaints have been, um, you know, there's a significant lack of POC characters yes. in Star Wars. And so finally, there is a person of color in the show. And she's killed off and well yeah i mean and then and i don't know like i definitely agree that there needs to be more people of color within the whole star wars universe that's something i believe very strongly about and i like and i'm very much like it that they're starting to rectify that i you know i understand the whole universe has a lot of ways to go but when you obviously are marketing this actress's involvement with this series yeah prior to that and the fact that she has such an affinity with other fandoms being involved with like agents of shield and stuff like that mm -hmm. where you know they're kind of 
bumping up like we have this you know bumping up their geek cred almost along with the fact they're having this awesome personal color and then just kill her off i just yeah <laughs> it's such a waste it's such a waste and also you don't really get to see like why she was so feared i mean we have the whole kind of standoff with them but that could have i don't see how she could like why why did it have to be her it, that could easily have been a stormtrooper it could have been mm-hmm. something else some other sort of sniper to get themselves into the situation i just felt yeah it was it was a waste and um you know again it just i'm i understand that this uh tv series is episodic i understand that it is uh supposed to uh may not necessarily have contribute to a larger story like how we're kind of used to in the menu in serialized television but this one like you could you did you could have had um last week's episode and in ne- next week's episode and it wouldn't i don't think there would have been any difference in the story necessarily no. except for the one little reveal at the end which could be you know interpreted a lot of different ways which again they're because of how flat i felt like with the rest of the episode uh, you know that didn't really do a ton for me yeah it it really kind of passed by me i had to go back and rewatch it because mm-hmm. it was such a forgettable yes scene um one thing that that i did appreciate in this episode was the stress test on the beskar steel oh, armor yeah. so we got to see it in action it's not just for show yes it did protect him against long range <laughs> blaster shots that's nice yes um unfortunately not his speeder but no. <laughs> You know, and there's also the whole point, which I thought I I didn't realize this at the time, but and watching this and I learned about it later is that when um that they use American Sign Language when they're communicating with the Tuscan Raiders or when the Mandalorian is, and it actually is a you know a deaf actor uh, who's playing that Tuscan Raider. Really? Yeah. So I like it. That's very interesting. I like it that that sort of effort was put into um into it, and um you know again it was kind of a that. See, that's a level, like, when it comes to Star Wars, level of detail I like, you know, that I felt like this episode in general kind of lacked was when you put the same level of detail in a scene like that, it seems very small and not necessarily inconsequential, but just not, like, not one of the set pieces. Right. Um, But I felt like the set pieces were kind of just bland and how they were set up and everything mm-hmm. and it was a very common situation with the sniper and kind of like hold mm-hmm. up and everything and using the and i'm flash grenades which uh you know i liked it at the end how they were used but in that scene um with fennec shan i did i just felt like it was a scene i've seen before many 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 yeah. other war films and westerns um so yeah there was a few details here and there that i really liked um about this but i just I don't know. I maybe my expectations were too high. I really liked the uh, episode three and four, so mm-hmm. I don't know if this just. I felt like that was at least taking the character somewhere, where mm-hmm. this one was. I don't know. I just it's sort of like put me in a place where I'm like, do I even know who the Mandalorian is? I just can't imagine that the Mandalorian, knowing that every bounty hunter is after him, would leave the baby, <laughs> the baby Yoda, yeah. like behind in this, especially in most Eisley, which is of course, as we know for Obi Wan said, a hive of scum and villainy. Yeah. Like there's gonna <laughs> yeah. be bounty hunters everywhere. So right, even with the Empire gone, I don't think that's changed. Too exactly. Much. No. No. If no, anything, no. it's probably worse. Exactly. So, so that's just something that you know we, um, you know, just. Just I, you know, I just had some qualms with this episode and related to those sort, you know, that sort of thing. And that kind of like 
I loved it when it kind of obviously they had that attention to detail and then mm -hmm. I felt like it kind of went away and again don't know if it's production issue writing issue whatever the case may be I understand that all that stuff comes into play but still that doesn't stop how it made me feel about the episode right yeah um i guess um uh dirk what did you think about you know we mentioned the reveal kind of at the end quasi reveal because it wasn't really a reveal but right. there's a lot of speculation about you know the the foot coming down in the mm -hmm. cape that we see um after uh fennec was uh killed and who is exam you know who's who can who shows up on screen right so yeah, the very like final two seconds of of the episode, um, we see a shadowy figure step up to Fennec's body, mm -hmm. um, and there's been a lot of speculation. Like I said before, when I watched it the first time, I didn't even notice it <laughs> because I was just so like I don't know. I was kind of over the episode. Um, on a rewatch, though, I did see it, saw the boot come down, saw the cape, um, and then I started reading articles um and the popular opinion right now is that it's boba fett yes i don't know how that could be possible aside from cloning um there's a boba fett clone out there somewhere because as far as we know he is still getting digested in the sarlacc <laughs> pit so yeah that is the actual canon right now i mean there was in the expanded universe um you know a book series um called the bounty hunter wars where they explained how boba fett escaped the sarlacc oh okay but that isn't canon anymore so yeah for all intents and purposes boba fett is still as far as we know but is still in the sarlacc mm -hmm. pit i know capes and boots are very popular attire in the star mm -hmm. wars world yeah. <laughs> so it could be i do believe it's probably some a character that we've seen before or are should be familiar with yeah or it's someone that you know could possibly be um a wtf type moment and mm -hmm. a bit fan service you know they and they're definitely this new direction of taking star wars they're not afraid of doing that right i remember when i saw solo and uh, maul shows up at the end of that and yeah. people just you know did not <laughs> understand at all but of course if you hadn't been watching clone wars and rebels you didn't know what Maul right. had been up to all these years. So I could see it definitely going and it could be another bounty hunter. I mean, for all we know, it could be the client. We are and so we just don't know. I do believe it's probably somebody that we know uh from either the film series, um, you know, take your pick of the trilogy, or someone that's maybe a little not as well known, but is maybe in, you know, still in canon, but just from, you know, the Clone Wars mm -hmm. or um star wars rebels and can't forget that this was directed by dave filoni who was kind of the you know george lucas's disciple the whole way while he created those two animated mm. series for him so that's something else to like keep in mind so i'm not sold when you know it's boba fett i think it's one of those it's maybe a a misdirection they're trying to make us think mm. it's boba fett but it could very well be just somebody else we know the article that i read i think it was from polygon i'll have to look it up um talked about the cape issue and the author brought up the fact that boba fett's cape is very short yeah it's kind of a half cape almost, yeah right? it's a half cape so that was part of their like point as to say we don't really think it's boba fett but um i don't know i think it'd be kind of funny if it happened to be lando calrissian yeah and it could be <laughs> i mean it could be lando calrissian and it would be that would be interesting because it would be kind of uh 
making you really wonder what Lando's been up to um, in the time since he's been kind of the general, you know, this is some, a couple of years, only a few years after he was kind of the hero of, of um, the Battle of Endor. Right. <laughs> so, wow. but who knows, you know, he's a guy who's got a lot of um, side projects going on all over the place, right. you know? <laughs> so, but again, it's, I think it's fun. I like it when TV shows, this is actually something I like. I think I like the speculation and the what ifs uh, that this episode brought up more than I like the episode itself. And I think that's never a good thing for a TV series <laughs> when that's the case, you know, we have, um, or the fact that we have more questions about why, you know, just why certain um, actors weren't used to their full potential. And again, I'm not saying that I would know for sure how to use Amy Sedaris. I just feel like I would have used her differently <laughs> if I was right. know, the one writing this episode. I mean, even as a like the the comedic escape in this episode, um, I, I mean, she didn't even really get a chance to to be very funny. Yeah, I mean, she there was some physical comedy with the pit droids, but yeah, not that much. Um, one thing that I've really been thinking about, um, and I've talked with some other people about, is that there's no real, like, major story arc yeah. with the show. How do you feel about, like, we're almost, well, we're over halfway through the season right now, and we still don't have, like, a, an overarching story. Yeah, and I think that's just, I think that's just them playing with the, the episodic format of it. I mean, I wasn't looking for, like, a huge, you know, um, I'm not looking for, you know, the Mandalorian to be Game of Thrones or Lost or you know, right. those TV shows. I think it's much more in line with like an X-Files monster of the week. You know, we mm -hmm. kind of have his mission of the week, you know, every single um I do think Baby Yoda is the connecting thread that's sure. keeping us invested and keeping us, you know, is he that is what is kind of the overarching story is just him protecting this child. Um I don't think it's a problem i think don't think it's something that we're used to because for the past you know 20 plus years we're used to serialized storytelling telling these huge detailed That's overarching true. stories and this is kind of like more of a remnant of how it was before that was the case where it was one episode and you know you're in you're out and then you're on to your next adventure you're in you're out you know yeah we talked about it in the episode four right really reminded me of xena warrior princess right That's yeah. very much that format is kind of you know we come across this some people need some help somebody needs a, a you know a mission a quest whatever we'll mm -hmm. go and we help them and you know yep, you get it and, done and move on you know in the x-files you know was about half you know that was kind of one of those kind of half and half or you know half the episodes were the monster of the week half the episodes were the mythology episodes but that didn't really start really in full until i think the second or third season so they may eventually go to that i think they're just kind of playing around with it and really just having fun uh, making you know really uh TV show that's just telling these individual almost like anthology style Western, you know, yeah. you know, once upon a time in the outer rim sort of storylines. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. Before we wrap up today, um, I wanted to talk about the polls that we conducted on Twitter recently. Um, if you're not following us, we have a Twitter handle now. Mm -hmm. It's at fistful of pod. So two L's in fistful. Yep. And just so you guys know that misspelling is very intentional. <laughs> yeah, that's something that was um, asked asked of us uh, when we uh, first got started. Someone asked why we had two L's in fistful. Um, 
when I was coming up with the the cover art, I was looking at the movie poster for A Fistful of Dollars, um, Clint Eastwood, right? Yep. Yeah. And they spelled fistful with two L's, so I thought that we'd do the same. No, you know, and it's kind of, it goes along, I think, with the theme. You know, these, uh, uh, the Mandalorian is inspired by spaghetti westerns mm-hmm. all over the place. And spaghetti westerns were very, like, you watch, you know, a film that's a spaghetti western and the dubbing's off, the spellings are off, you know, right. things like that about it. Yeah, even Quentin Tarantino, who's also, of course, very much inspired by uh spaghetti westerns also would you know you know in glorious bastards was misspelled the name bastards and everything (laughs) like that so um you know i just feel like this is very much in line with that tradition oh yeah and it's just fun you know and so but yeah we had we ran uh two polls this week one of which was will baby yoda ever age during the course of the mandalorian um just Turk, what do you think about that question um Personally, I don't think Baby Yoda will age, uh, especially since he's 50 years old and is about developmentally like the size and basic like level as a human six month old. Yes. <laughs> I don't think we'll see him age. Sure. And I think, and I also believe that just with the amount of popularity Baby Yoda is as a baby, that it would be, you know, that, that they probably wouldn't age him. However, I would think it would be kind of interesting if this, you know, kind of kept its episodic, you know, and serial mm-hmm. and um, kind of anthologiness of maybe different seasons. It was his adventures with the Mandalorian at different ages. That would be kind of yeah. fun where we see him as a baby. Then maybe we'll see him as more of like a teenager one season, maybe back as a small child. I don't necessarily think that's going to be because, you know, Baby Yoda is such a boom for merchandising. <laughs> right. But, you know, all of you guys who... Um, uh, answered that 75% said no he will not age and 25% of you guys said yes you do think that he will age so that's that's uh you know I I could see I don't I don't why well, I don't think he'll see him age I think it would be kind of fun if they played around with it and made it kind of one of those things where like I wonder what how old baby Yoda is going to be from season to season yeah I I do think a non-linear anthology of the adventures of baby Yoda as he grows up or like flashes back to younger parts of his life it would be definitely an interesting avenue yeah, to explore and, and that's something that um we don't talk a lot about how star wars inspired a lot of anime and anime inspired back star wars but mm-hmm. that's very much like you know a lot of anime series are kind of done in that way where it's not told chronologically it's kind of out right. of order and kind of like the emotional mood you know the story it's telling emotionally and how that they focus on some of those aspects more so than the logical chronological progression of the story. Yeah. Um, so our second poll this week um, was what other scoundrel from the star Wars universe would you like to see Mando cross paths with on the show? And uh, so our choices were Boba Fett, Dr. Afra, Enfys Nest and Hondo. Is it Anka? Onaka? So, you know, and anybody, you know, Hondo Anaka is a, a lot of people who've gone to Galaxy's Edge and another talking about Galaxy's Edge again, but I love mm-hmm. Galaxy's Edge. So let's talk about it again. But Smuggler's Run is you're, oh, you're running yes. a mission for Hondo and everything. He's yeah. a, you know, Clone Wars, you know, Pirate King kind of character who's 
you know, you don't know how to feel about him at first. And then you realize he's a really good, you know, he helps Obi Wan get out of a couple of big jams and everything like that. And so he's just one of those, uh, is he good? Is he bad kind of characters at first? And you realize, oh, yeah, it's Star Wars. So the scoundrels <laughs> yeah. usually end up turning good eventually. Right. <laughs> um, kind of chaotic neutral if yeah. you're talking in D&D terms. Yes, yes, exactly. And in Emphasis, of course, it's from Solo. She's the character that, you know, is she has a group of marauders and at the mm -hmm. end you realize it's revealed that she's actually doing things that are probably going to start the seeds of the what would eventually become the rebels rebel mm -hmm. lions um dr afros from the is she is a comic book series she's very well i'm she and i should say she's the one who actually edged out hondo on our poll yeah um She's, you know, a very beloved character in uh, Star Wars fandom from the comic book. She's an archaeologist, has kind of a strange friendship with Darth Vader. So it's kind of she's being used as a foil in a lot of ways, kind of smart, um, you know, kind of a smart ass type character who's a lot, you know, who's a lot of fun. She's also, I believe, one of the first canon um, lesbian characters, um, oh. which I find to be, you know, great for it and a great representation as well as she, you know, she... I believe she's coded as you know as being Asian as well. So that's kind of, you know, again, great representation on a lot of different fronts, as well as kind of it's one she's a great character that kind of adds kind of some shading to Darth Vader and mm -hmm. kind of always kind of crossing paths with him as she tries to kind of go on these misadventures, kind of Indiana Jones style, stealing artifacts from <laughs> around the galaxy. Yeah, and then Boba Fett only got you know thirteen percent of the vote, which I was actually kind of. Um, Surprised by that because I thought Boba Fett would get some more love. So, <laughs> guess not. Guess people are fed up with him. Yep. And I think, you know, like I said, Dr. Afra would be more interesting. And I think there's a lot of um, desire to see Dr. Afra outside of the comic book realm and put into um, just, you know, what, just, you know, put in live action or something along those lines. And the Mandalorian does seem like a great avenue for. Um, for her to meet him you know yeah. it's it's for her type of stories because her type of stories are very similar and it's the mandalorian you know she kind of has an artifact that she has to go after she goes after that and mm -hmm. you know the story's very much told in episodic fashion right well we plan on having uh more more of these polls in the future we really like having these polls because it gets it gives us kind of a feel of what you guys are um kind of thinking about the the episodes oh yeah and we would definitely you know just think it would be yeah like like dirk said we just like having a lot of fun with you guys on twitter so please yeah follow us and at a fistful of pod with two l's and fistful let's head into the enclave where we rate the episode um this week i think i was a little generous when i gave my first rating i wrote it down as three and a half I would bump it down to three. It was just kind of an uninspiring episode. You know, and I actually, I th felt like I was being a bit generous with giving it a 2.5. Ooh. <laughs> so I'm going to bump it down just to a flat two. Um, again, Dave Filoni did put in some things that I think are very much, uh, you know, very much like in line with what Dave Filoni does with kind of some glimpses at most likely. Um, you know, as well as, you know, like that small little interaction using sign language with the Tuscan Raider mm -hmm. and things like that. But other than that, the episode left me very flat. And um, especially in the scenes where I felt like I should be compelled to be, you know, to continue watching and to see what happens next. I just wasn't. 
A Fistful of Beskars is produced by Dirk Walker and Jonah Crismore. To geek out with us about Star Wars and all other pop culture, follow us on Twitter at Dirk Walker and Jonah Crismore, and follow the show at A Fistful of Beskars. That's Fistful with two L's. The music is by Lobo Loco, and if you like the show, leave us a five-star rating and tell your friends about us. It's simple, but it really helps. See you next time.